Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be talking about things you might not know about Judas Iscariot. That's right, we're going to explore the life of the person who betrayed Christ, where he was from, and some facts you probably have never heard about him. We all know Judas Iscariot to be the one who betrayed Jesus, but there's a whole backstory that we're going to expose, and very important information to see how everything crescendoed to the point of the greatest betrayal in human history. Really exciting topic here. I think there's a lot of, uh, as we said, mystery. Um, a lot of our listeners have asked for uh, a show like this, so mm-hmm. happy to be doing this today. Yeah, so I mean, even. you'll hear so many hagiographies of the saints because you want to know more about them. And so because of that, you know a lot of the context of a lot of the apostles, a lot of the saints in history. But because Judas is the betrayer, the one who turned over the Son of Man, he doesn't get the same... Um, kind of contextualization. So people don't know a lot about this person. And I think it's a really fascinating topic to understand the scripture and to understand who, who it was that betrayed Christ. Yeah, the whole sense of, of apostasy and turning turning your back in complete betrayal to the person of Christ is one that's riddled with fear. Like mm-hmm. none of us would ever want to betray Jesus to that point. But the reality of it is every single sin betrays the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in the betrayals of the apostles and Peter and all throughout the scriptures, you know, Judas stands out. And I think there is a value in exploring the depth of that betrayal and realizing what the journey he had with Christ that ultimately led to this definitive point and what came as an effect. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I was, you know, I was just thinking like, you know, we we think of Judas as the betrayer, but you know, he was an apostle, mm-hmm. you know. And Jesus Jesus and, expressed great love and mercy toward him. Right. And and also, he was given the power to cast out demons. I mean, this is this is something that Jesus conferred to his apostles. So, he wasn't like, you know, this guy in the background constantly conniving Something happened to him, mm-hmm. and 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 it was the utter rejection of of Christ, the Son of Man. So I mean, he had all this these encounters and the, and this time spent with Christ Himself. That just seems very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like the word that you used, apostasy, because he is the apostate. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Ryan, he was fully equal to the apostles. Mm-hmm. He was one of the ones hand chosen by Jesus to be his inner circle. But still, it shows you how even in today's church, you think of the church and like, well, how can I remain married, you know, into this church, this Catholic church, when there's so much bad, when there's priests who do this and bishops who cover up that and people who are in the pew on Sunday, but doing terrible stuff during the week. And it shows that even in just the 12 apostles, there is nefarious people. There's people who are doing things wicked. And that's not just Judas. That's Peter showed lots of weakness. Paul. And I mean, all, all of them had their, you know, doubts and weaknesses of mm-hmm. the flesh. But what made, I think, different circumstances for them is that they sought the the mercy of God. Mm-hmm. And they, they received that. And I love this saying, and I heard, I heard this quite a bit, but you don't want to turn your back on Jesus because of Judas. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that explains every generation has 
it's Judas. Every generation has its many forms of betrayals. But ultimately, we have in every generation Jesus Christ with his church. Behold, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. So he expresses that to the apostolic college before he ascends into heaven. Mm -hmm. And the accompaniment of the Spirit is exactly Jesus accompanying us along the way in the sacramental life of the church so that we would endure these betrayals and let it be a catalyst for our greater growth and holiness. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I've read, and I think the most, the biggest betrayal in our modern times within the church is the sexual abuse scandal. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt. That's the biggest betrayal of the life of the faithful. And I would, I think I've read studies that is between two and 3% of priests in the last hundred years were credibly accused. But when you look at one out of 12, that's 8.3%. That's four times higher, you know, in Jesus's own handpicked circle of people who would sell out Christ, just like these priests sold out Christ in the form of children. So Corruption has always been in the church, even since the very earliest days of Christ's ministry. So that's an important thing to to realize. But in thinking about Judas... Because there's a path through that dynamic. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a path through betrayal. And it is, it's death. That's it. I mean, it is a horrible death. But there is always new life that comes out as a result of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I always think, you mentioned people's faith are rocked by scandals. And I, I I get that. But at the same time, I you, it does expose a very weak and superficial faith when, you know, all this stuff is before you, all these things are before you, and yet you want to go to another church. And, and I, I'm dealing out with a with a friend of mine right now yeah. about, you know, look at what these you know guys, you know, how much money they're spending on this, and there's all these poor people. I'm like, I'm not even having this argument with you. Your faith is weak. Like you don't understand the Eucharist. You don't understand the sacraments. You, like. This isn't even a conversation about your faith. This is just you Mm -hmm. rejecting Christ and his church for your own little reasons and their petty. I I, I know this is kind of a rabbit hole conversation, but I think it's I think it's a valuable one. I think innate to the human heart is a desire for heaven. Mm-hmm. Right, we we all long for heaven. We all long for that form of harmony and peace and concord. Well, you know, we at times think that we'll be able to form a utopia in this world, and we look at the church as if it ought to be a utopia. But that's not what the church is. Mm-hmm. The church is a hospital for mm-hmm. for people who are hemorrhaging, people who are sick, people who are diseased, not only in body but most especially in spirit. We we are hemorrhaging in the spirit because we are sinful and we are concupiscent. So realizing the many betrayals of the entire college of the apostles is an important thing because as it relates to Judas, we all have these these moments where we turn away from Christ and we embrace our sin. But in the church, we have a place where we ever return to the Father who is merciful because Jesus is saving us actively as a good shepherd, mm-hmm. turning us away from those paths to paths of freedom. Unfortunately for Judas, whom we're going to really talk a lot about here and really get some background, where he was from, what his name means, and and how he participated along the way, and how we see glimpses of his betrayal throughout the scriptures, mm-hmm. it's going to be really a deep dive into the scriptural account of Judas and what's held up in tradition. That's right. So so let's talk about Judas Iscariot. Number one, let's just talk about that name, okay? Judas is the, the Greek version of Judah, right? Mm-hmm. And Judah was a very, very common name in those times, right? After 
The tribe. Ju- well, the tribe and Judas Maccabee, because, you know, he was a hero. That's yeah. like naming everyone, your kid George yep. Washington, right? Yep. Uh, so it was a really common name. Even in the apostles, there was two. There's Thad, Thaddeus, Thaddeus. Jude. Yep. Which was what, Matthew and Mark, and then in, in Luke, the treatment was uh, yeah. was was Judas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Son of James, mm-hmm. right? But Judas Iscariot. His name carries a lot of meaning with it, and there's two possible interpretations, and both of them kind of foreshadow his eventual betrayal. So the first interpretation of the name Iscariot means there was a town called Kiriath, Mm -hmm. right? And Iscariot would be essentially a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew way of saying man from Kiriath, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, what's interesting about that is Kiriath was the only city well, he, that would indicate that he was the only apostle not from Galilee, who was actually from the south, from in Judah. South of Judea. Yeah, yeah, south of Judea. So again, it shows his role as an outsider, even in his name, if you interpret his name as the man from Kerioth. Mm-hmm. okay? The other possible interpretation of that comes from the term Sakari. Sakari meant like, um, like a dagger, like it was like a, a tool of assassination, Okay, so Judas, Sicari, Iscariot, right? And they were kind of like a rebel tribe of assassins, you know, radicals, right? I mean, you look at them as like, um, you know, the the Hashashin or someone like that, or like a contra rebel force who was trying to fight the Romans through violence. So in either sense, it shows very much that they were that Judas was kind of different than the other apostles, even by the virtue of his name. Mm-hmm. So south of the Hebron and the fact that he would come from different circles that are outside of really the, the Galilee, because that's where a greater majority of well, the all apostles. Of them. All of them. He would be know, the only one. He'd be the there. only one. So yeah. the, the greater majority of the apostles, um, you know, that that Jesus would even open himself up to this relationship says something. And it says something profoundly distinct because he he opens himself up to the Samaritan woman. He he shows mercy to the Gentiles. He shows mercy to the Roman centurion and to the Roman families. You know, he, he shows truth, you know, to Pontius Pilate. So all of these extensions of mercy, I think, are outshined in this first election and choice of Judas Ephatha. And, and Judas the Iscariot from, from this city. Mm-hmm. Now, like you said earlier, Ryan, I mean, he was a, fully an apostle. I mean, he was commissioned. He was doing the same things that Peter was, that mm-hmm. John was, that uh, James was, right? I mean, he was in the ministry. In many I, cases, probably experienced Jesus's mercy, right? you know, and picking him up off the ground and dusting him off. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the same thing that, you know... People who betray you in life, it's usually the people that you love and are closest the most to you that betray you, Mm -hmm. that the betrayal is worse because is it really a betrayal if it's someone you don't know or is it really an attack? There's a differentiation. Yeah, Yeah, this is from within. It's the most treacherous. That's right. So scripture identifies Judas's role among the apostles as essentially the banker, the money keeper, the one who would carry the coin bag. Um, Even though Matthew was the was accountant. The accountant. <laughs> well, he was the auditor. He, he was auditor. probably the one who was figuring out Jesus. He was the yeah, he's, he's skimming. He probably yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so the gospel tells us this in, in John 12 at the anointing at Bethany, which is a really great scene. 
Uh, Father Rich, why don't you read that for us? So that sure. this is where the Gospels tell us exactly Judas's role in Scripture. The anointing at Bethany. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, while Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary took a little, a liter of costly perfumed oil made from genuine aromatic nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and dried them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then Judas the Iscariot, one of his disciples, and the one who would betray him, said, Why was this oil not sold for 300 days' wages and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and held the money bag and used to steal the contributions. You know, I see so much in this. There's so many parallels to the kind of attacks you'll hear in the church today. Well, why don't you sell the Vatican? You'll feed the world. You know, they don't really care they about feeding care kids about the because poor. if they really cared about the poor, they'd be out there feeding themselves hand and foot. Mm-hmm. But they're not. They just want to detract from others. And they would probably be doing that in the church. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the largest charitable organization in the history of the world. That's right. Uh, so that's a, con- a, a concept that I see a lot is when people attack the church for oh, its perceived yeah. wealth. Um, that's the same argument Judas, uh, Jude used. I'm sorry, Judas. But it also shows that he carried the money bag. That was his role. You know, he was the one who, like, if uh, they needed to pri- buy provisions, they needed to get some food and some oil for the road, Judas was the one who was, you know, kept the credit card. He was the one who paid for it, right? Uh, but he was also skimming off the top. And now what was he doing with that money? You know, what was he you know, using that money for. And, and you'll see this in financial scandals in the church, right? You know, bishops and priests, they're not living lives of luxury, but they're also pretty comfortable. But then you see some, and you'll hear like certain stories of like, well, this bishop's cruising around in like a, a Lambo. Like, dude, you don't need that, right? Hey, so another thing too is this is six days before Passover. So, and and what is this, Luke? Luke's this is John. account? John's this is John. account? Yeah, and it's kind of interesting how this sort of comes out before his Passover. Yeah, the six days before all the emotions of Holy Week gets set in place. And you wonder you wonder if his heart has not already been fully hardened at this point and why John would mention that in Scripture well, at this point. Well, and, and the fact that, you know, John references this has been going on. Right. Mm-hmm. So we all know the progression of sin that's not, that's not confronted. Yeah. Uh, will only harden the heart more and more and more. So I, I think your point is well taken, Delacrosse, because the hardness of Judas's heart at this point, mm-hmm. he is he is definitely of the disposition where his actions are hidden, yeah. and now he's trying to justify himself in relationship to pointing the finger at. Why is she using that? Why is Mary using that perfumed oil? Look I could use that. it for myself. Yeah, well, see, like, isn't it? Isn't it like that when you start harboring ill will towards someone that you start criticizing them for things that you wouldn't have before and you start finding pretexts for what's already stirring in your heart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the liar, right? The, per, the, the, per, the perception is spun into something else and it's usually something that's good, compassionate or true. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this particular case, you wonder how Jesus and the apostles, even that they knew this, if that you know, had they confronted him, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Has Jesus like handled this with him? I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like there had to have been conversations about this to where 
the ship is sort of starting to sail. And, and don't, don't we see that whenever we confront or do an intervention, that yeah. the person who's on that receiving end is trying to point toward other people mm-hmm. and, and not really take the blame? Let me distract your attention from me and let me put it over here. I think I think that's a dynamic that we could see clearly and in this. And the forgiveness in this seven times, seventy-seven times, right? I mean, this is this is probably the reason why he was still there and still had access, and is because of the the teachings of Christ and the mm-hmm. the, the constant forgiveness. Yeah, and, is, and see, you know, I don't know if they had suspicions before because the Gospels are written in retrospect, right? right? They're not live mm-hmm. accounts; they're written in retrospect to preserve the story. So, did they have suspicions? Maybe some of them, maybe none of them. Gospel, the Gospels don't tell us specifically, but they do tell us something. I think that's kind of um, well, illuminating. He was caught. Well, yeah. it's and it's very, you know, it's very direct. You know, he said this not because he cared about the poor, mm-hmm. but because he was a thief. I tell you, like, that's a direct accusation. Yeah, <laughs> he's been caught. Like, bro, yeah. you're with somebody for three years in the seminary. When you're with somebody for three years, four years, you know he's a thief. <laughs> if he's Come a thief, on. you know he's you a know thief. it. Mm-hmm. Now, but what you mentioned was something pretty, I think, illuminating as well. Is like. You know when his heart started to turn, right? Mm-hmm. And this is this part comes from Luke's gospel, and this is a really interesting p- piece of scripture to understand Judas. And mm-hmm. this is the conspiracy against Jesus. So, like you said, it was six days before Passover, and Luke's gospel also mentions it's shortly before Passover. So maybe his heart was already stirring towards uh, you know betrayal. You know, and then he got irritated with that money, you know, the money of the oil. Mm-hmm. And this is him actually starting to conspire against Jesus again. So, mm-hmm. Father Rich, why don't you read this for us? Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread called the Passover was drawing near, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking a way to put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered into Judas. That's the, that's the one. Satan entered into Judas. The one surnamed Iscariot, who was counted among the twelve, And he went to the chief priests and temple guards to discuss a plan for handing him over to them. They were pleased and agreed to pay him money. He accepted their offer and sought a favorable opportunity to hand him over to them in the absence of a crowd. Isn't that interesting that it's about money, but the detail that Satan entered into Judas. Mm -hmm. And and what I like, too, is... He was afraid of the people. The the priests and the scribes. They were afraid of the people of... That were following Jesus, right? They were afraid that this popular uprising was going to strip them of their place of primacy and importance. And and you could see the primacy and importance and the concentrated money and wealth. Judas is being governed by the appetite of power Mm -hmm. and the appetite of of money, Sure, um, his worship of money. And he's looking and collaborating with the chief priests and the scribes and, and these elders because he's he's already proven That's the power structure yeah, he wants to he's, be a part he's of. looking at the hardness of their hearts and his heart is absolutely following lined in lined up so we all know how much G- Judas got paid to betray Jesus that was 30 pieces of silver mm-hmm. so how much is that really what is that worth what is it worth to betray the son of god so there is four silver coins, pieces of silver in circulation at the time. Um, there is the Tyrian shekel, the Antioch and Stadter, 
the Ptolemaic tetradrachms, and the Athenia tetradrachm. Okay, those are like the four kind of main coins. You know, you had your Greek, your Egyptian, your Antiochian, and your Tyrian. Mm -hmm. So you know. Judea is in the middle of trade, so any of those coins would have been accepted as circulation, right? They all had different weights. They varied in weight from 17 to 14 grams. Um, and in purity, they varied. You know, the Tyrian shekel was 94% pure silver, where the Ptolemaic tetradrachm is only a quarter silver, the rest with other metals. And that's reflected in their value. In their value. So at the highest was the Athenian tetradrachm, which was 17 grams and 95% pure silver. So in today's value, in 2022, the value of silver, that had been about $450. Mm-hmm. Per piece? No. Per silver piece? That, that would have been so for be all of them. No, that would have been about all of them. Oh, for 30? Yeah. 30 would weigh that? That's it. Gotcha. When you think about $450, you know, and, and this is what you were selling out the Son of God for, I mean, God bless, you know, the priorities of his affections, you know, and, and who he's trying to align himself with is clearly a choice that was predicated a long time before. So not only was he an outsider in respect to the boys from Galilee, mm-hmm. but he was an outsider in respect to the priorities of value. Yeah. I mean, $450 is, I, like, I probably wouldn't even slap Della Cross for 450 bucks. You know, I wouldn't even slap him. If I throw down 450 bucks on the table, are you going to slap Della Cross? Heck yeah. You're going to. Judas is. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. He would. With, yeah. a, with a love. It's, it's really a loving spirit. One of those yeah. slap contests. Yeah. yeah, but for $450, you know, um, <laughs> Now, there's there's always been the kind of thought in scholarship that maybe Judas was trying to force Jesus's hand because he was more revolutionary and wanted mm-hmm. to have what, you know, one of the things that people say why Jesus was rejected by the Jews was because he wasn't coming in as a military liberator. Mm-hmm. He wasn't coming in as King David with a sword. He wasn't Judas Maccabeus with a hammer, right? Mm-hmm. He was creating a kingdom not of this world. And that Judas was trying to force the issue. He was almost doing a false flag, trying to get Jesus to use his power and zap the Romans, right? Mm-hmm. So that's always been one of the theories as to why Judas was motivated to sell Jesus out for so little. Was See, it- you know, like I, I I, just relate, you know, I just think it was a bad illustration in relationship to Delacross. You know, it's like sauce that makes you want to smack your mama. You're just now starting to feel contrition. Well, no, like it would be different, right? Like (laughs) it's like we're just like a couple of brothers like that are the disciples, the apostles that have like this, you know, competitive feel, you know, with like I know how to meet with James with James smack. Like I'm not smacking Jesus for any type of money whatsoever. I know how to mediate my bishop or like somebody like my mama, even if the hot sauce is that good, I ain't going to smack my mama. But would you slap Howard for four hundred fifty dollars? Yes, one hundred percent. So look, there we 250. go. Two hundred fifty. Two hundred fifty. I'll I'll pay Howard four hundred fifty dollars to smack him. <laughs> I, yeah, I would look at this almost from the standpoint of evil Satan, um, mm-hmm. and why what what why it's it, it exists to, you know, it's it's basically just the the height of jealousy and that modesty, vulnerability, all these things that God calls us to and the suffering and the sacrifice that we make for others. And, and then the, the just ultimate pure hatred of anything that is a gift to others 
you know, anything that, you know, it's basically this, this massive amount of whininess in the devil that God created something lower than him and, and he just can't handle it. I think a lot of that is, is woven into Judas is that this, this was, there was not enough self. There was not enough of possession of what, um, what he wanted and, and, this whole idea of following Christ was just something that he just didn't really. He lost it. He lost, he lost the faith. His interest. Yeah. And, and yeah, he lost his faith. Another component to this is, you know, Judas is clearly identified as a thief. Why do people steal? Mm-hmm. Why, why do people take things that are not their own? It's, it's an action of violence so that you could, you know, a, a thief would get ahead, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like the, the desire to get ahead is an insatiable desire that ultimately leads to one's destruction. And it's mm. pride, too. It's pride. Absolutely. I deserve that pride. more than you. Yeah. And I think pride, again, I really do think pride is the the hydrogen of sins, right? Mm-hmm. It is the most purest and elemental form of sin. From the fourth century on, we have Evagrius, this mystic in the desert, who goes out to encounter what are the premises of human sinfulness, and he absolutely, what you're saying, he ties it to pride. Like, And the seven deadly sins that come from the eight evil thoughts of Evagrius, we could see that the church's teachings all revolve around this very fundamental action that, that is rooted in like that form of coveting and envy that feeds pride. And then what comes as a result of that through coveting, through envy, then violence, like stealing, being a thief, you know, murdering war. Uh, yeah. War. So the end of all of it is destruction. So the destruction that we see at the end is not the destruction of, you know, Christ's human life. They tried to deface his human life. They they marred him. They stripped him. They tried to utter every type of evil against him. The destruction actually comes much later mm-hmm. in the form of destruction of Judas's life. And and that's what we're going to get into in, in a little bit. But as we're as we're now kind of reflecting scripturally from Passover, now we shift to the the form of betrayal in an action of false love. Oh. And and that betrayal with a kiss. I know I've received kisses that have no backup in mm-hmm. love from people. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, there's this person that I'm thinking of. I'm not going to Howard. say Howard. Howard. Yeah. It's Howard, man. Yeah. It's Mike it's Schmitz. Kisses. <laughs> <laughs> Schmitz, brother, priest. Hey, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, Mike. I'm telling you, these guys are trying to pin us against each other. Um, but, you know, like you've re- you've received that, like somebody who who falsely extends affection to or a shaking of a hand or anything it's just like hey man you you know you they don't like you and you feel so disappointed because you were going in for a shake no i I, once you started describing the shake i was like i don't don't want that i have no (laughs) i'm gonna slap you for 450 (laughs) dollars so these exchanges that every single one of us feel like we've all had that experience Mm -hmm. right and and the disappointment of relationships that turn sour Mm mm-hmm and then we could look back retrospectively and we could say, yeah, I kind of saw that from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But the ultimate definitive abuse of, of, of a love that, that should have been in the cords of, of being an apostle with Jesus, and then it comes to this climactic moment of, of a kiss. That's the thing that always stands out for me. I don't know about you guys, but that he betrays the Son of Man, the Son of God, the son of the Virgin Mary, and 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 Judas must have been interacting with 
the Blessed Mother for sure. three years. Yeah, right? I mean, do you ever think about that? Judas knew Mary. And he and he betrayed her beautiful, yeah. immaculate maternal heart. Like, yeah. you know, Well, at this that. point, Satan had entered into him, so mm-hmm. there was an element see, but of possession. I, don't, I know, see, I don't, cons- it's not said, you know, in the kind of, the primal Greek as a, as a sense of possession. Okay. Judas was not possessed. He was in control of his own will. Okay. It's in the sense of, I guess, temptation had entered him. You know, it's it was like a saying like, wow, that boy's got the devil in him. You know, yeah, it's, it's metastasized. Yeah, exactly. Perfect yeah. word, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's not in the sense that he was possessed and that he was not culpable for his actions. Right. He was strictly and clearly culpable for his actions, so it's not a matter of possession. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about, we've talked about mortal sin and the rejection of God. Like, that is it, right? He spent all this time with him, knows who he is inside and out, saw the miracles, was there for the preaching, you know, and 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 this betrayal is something that he willfully did. That's right. right. I, I don't think there was a de- degradation of his ability to choose or anything like that. I think it was just complete and utter evil and, and a complete and utter rejection of That's God. Right. You know, and I think about the martyrs who have believed without seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, 1,500 years later, you have you know, like St. Paul Miki in Japan, mm-hmm. in a different culture, a different time, in a different world, and he wouldn't reject Jesus to the point of death. Or you have, you know, St. Charles Lawanga in, you know, Uganda. Almost 2,000 years. Ruiz yeah. and Ignatian, beautiful North American And martyrs. they believed without seeing, but mm-hmm. this person who was right there with Jesus rejected him so utterly. With seeing. Yeah, with seeing. With and seeing. I don't know if that's, you know, familiarity breeds contempt, but... But but going back to what Delacroix was saying before, like mortal sin, you have to have a premise of knowledge. That's right. 100%. You know, and then you concede your will. Yeah. Willful. you do yeah. something that you know is wrong. And you do it anyways. It, it wasn't like you were tempted and there's concupiscence involved. It, it is like, I know this is wrong and I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah. And and there's really no really the the, the relationship with Christ is completely severed at that point. Mm-hmm. Completely severed. Mm-hmm. It's there's a self-excommunication. No there's no contrition, mm-hmm. you know. Well, there is contrition that can be had through confession, and I think we're going to get into that really illustratively later. But let's let's go back to the kiss because the kiss is so iconic. You see it in artwork. It's such a peculiar gesture in the history of humanity. Um, and I think it's such an interesting detail that they recorded it in the Gospels. So this is coming from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Father Rich, why don't you read that for us? While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who had come from the chief priests and the elders of the people. His betrayer had arranged a sign with them, saying, The man I shall kiss is the one. Arrest him. Immediately he went over to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus answered him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then stepping forward, they laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Called him a friend. And, and you know, that this has been prearranged. Yeah. You know, like he prearranged with this mob this large crowd, 
You're going to come against Jesus with a large crowd of people and work out a prearranged sign for people so that they would be able to identify the Messiah, you know, the Son of God, and, and you're going to make that sign a kiss. Out of all of the signs, right? He could have he Was he done hoping to still get away with it? Was he hoping to kind of be like clandestine <clears throat> so Jesus didn't know he was betraying him? Like... Hey guys, uh, I'm gonna walk up and you know, I'm gonna like, come up to him, and you'll know who he is. Was he still trying to conceal his deceit? Because that might be a possible explanation for why he chose to do it like that. Like, hey, like, hey, we're gonna go jump this guy. The guy I go up to and shake his hand, that's the guy to go after. Mm-hmm. Like, that could have been like, it. He you know? had to have seen Jesus know things. But but see, Jesus said, "Do what you must, friend." Right? Yeah. So Jesus and his but, but like, I knew I, I've seen I've seen in a number of like marriages that have turned very uh, disordered um, where the shame of a particular member of the marriage uh, begins to show itself in so much pride that there's actions done to the spouse, even in forms of infidelity that are almost boastfully uh, insincere mm-hmm. and and I just, I just see, I see that, and and it's almost like a manipulation of of like power and persuasiveness. Yeah. Um, that I can kind of choreograph my my um, my infidelity and and these relationships, and then still choreograph, you know, uh, a sense of of manipulating my wife to believe that I, I, I love her. It's the perver- It's like a perversion at that point that you even get a thrill out of being able to manipulate. To do that. And, yeah. and, and I think that's why I've really never thought about this until you, you just brought up. That's a, it's very hard. Yeah. Oh, and it's, oh, it's bad. I've, I've, had to, I've had to try to bring couples back out of that dynamic. And it's, it's extremely challenging because it's, it's so interwoven with a web of, of sin and darkness. And distrust. distrust. It's like, you know, and dehumanization. Oh, how do you know you're to dehumanize someone that you ostensibly love by being so capricious with acts of love? It's a it's a perversion of the act of love of of a kiss. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it even so much more egregious. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and the, it starts progressively, right? So so it, like it progresses to the points of like this, mm-hmm. but it starts subtly with you know you've had a moment of infidelity towards your wife, so you're going to kind of pick her up some flowers or something like that, where she doesn't know what's going on, and you're you're trying to shower, trick you know, her, yeah, as as if like you know you're the object of my love. It, it starts with that, but then that subtlety starts to remove, and it, it takes on more grave situations. Yeah, it, and it, it can become a very deep sickness. Yeah. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus says to him, Judas, you betray the son of man with a kiss, almost like in a heartbroken statement. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you're really going to do me like this, you know? I what I what I prefer in the previous translation and the previous uh iteration of it is the use of friend, mm-hmm. but this is the thing I've prayed I've prayed over uh, a number of times, but Judas you are betraying the son of man with a kiss. You know, like when you combine that like friend, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I have extended the most authentic friendship towards you. I treat you as my other self. Mm-hmm. You know, I desire your your prosperity and your welfare into eternal life. 
and and you're going to betray me with this this form of of manifest insincerity yeah. and 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 evil yeah. manipulation. You know, and and Jesus had foretold his betrayal many times. He, mm-hmm. uh, in right after the the bread of life discourse in the sixth chapter of John, you know, well, you've all left me, and you know, Lord, you have the, you know, the words of eternal life. Uh, he he foretells it then. He foretells it at the Last Supper, where he's like the one who doesn't, you know, dip his bread in this bowl is the one who's mm-hmm. betray me. So I don't know if Judas was like not paying attention. He's like looking off or something, mm-hmm. didn't hear it. But they were all discussing, well, surely not I, surely not I. And Judas sneaks out. So I think an interesting thing is during Holy Week, Wednesday is called Spy Wednesday because that's when it, it comes from the, the sense that that's when um, Judas sneaks off to go and make his deal. Mm-hmm. Spy Wednesday to make his deal mm-hmm. to turn over Jesus, you know. And during the Last Supper, he leaves early to go, you know, continue his arrangements. And it's just, you know, it, you could just, I mean, we've all been betrayed. And say, like, dude, really? You know, you you're leaving early. You're doing some, you know, doing this kind of stuff, and then you betray me with a kiss. Like, like I think, not only did that offend God, Jesus Christ, this you know, second person in the Trinity, but I think as a man, as a human, fully human, that offended Jesus on a friendship level too, and as, as a on a personal level, right? I would, I'd have to imagine. Mm-hmm. And that last that last line. In Matthew's gospel from the 26th chapter, friend, do what you've come for. Yeah. So to your point before, like Jesus, Jesus is kind of giving him these very insightful expressions. Like, I know exactly what you're doing here, you know, and, and I'm also identifying the way that I'm expressing relationship toward you. And this is the way that you express your relationship toward me. It's not about me, it's about you. And, mm. and ultimately, pride has uh, entrapped Judas Iscariot yeah. to the point of utter destruction. Mm-hmm. And, and before he gets to that destruction, he is going to do everything in his power to tear down everything around him institutionally. Mm-hmm. Now, this starts to go into, so now Jesus has been handed over by Judas's plot. Now, what happens next? Now, we know what happens. We know the crucifixion. We know Peter denies Jesus three times. Peter and Judas both denied Christ, you know, in this same time period. But one is the first pope, and the other one, it would have been better for him not to have been born. Why is that? What's the differentiation between the two? And I think the Passion of the Christ did a really good job of showing this, because it shows that Judas had remorse. Judas had remorse. But did he have contrition? You know, what's the difference between remorse and abandonment? What's the difference between, you know, um, betrayal and contrition, right? Judas, you know, this shows him taking the money. He's like, I don't want this money because he feels remorse. And he goes and tries to give it back and tries to undo it. He won't own up to it. He wants to undo it by giving the money back. And they're like, and the, the priests and the scribes are like, we don't want your money. We can't take this blood money. This well, Akhodama. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a there's a natural remorse that can come from circumstances that's still selfish in nature. Mm-hmm. Right? It still comes from the idea that, you know, I want for myself, I am entitled to it. So you can still have remorse for a bad decision that you made. Mm-hmm. Based on a very selfish thought, contrition is, I think, something that is 
begotten, not just by grace alone, but also by the fact that there is a good for another, mm-hmm. right? Not not just your own good, but it's the good for others. It's the good for, you know, in this particular case, Christ and, and other things where the, the contrition would come from what, how, you know, mm-hmm. your actions and how they impacted other people insofar as like yeah it's like are, are you sorry for having committed a crime because now you're going to jail or because you wronged a person i right. think that's a big difference well, between, massive difference. between you massive know personal remorse yeah. and actual true contrition yeah so the scripture tells us what happens to judas after this so judas goes and tries to return the money and they won't take it they won't take the money back because the priest won't can't accept it because it's now blood money. It's ritually impure. They can't put it into the coffers of the temple. They can't use it personally because they follow that you know, that law. So they're like, we don't want your money. And you can't even undo it at that point. And the kind of the panic that we see Judas betraying in that scene, in, that, in the Passion of the Christ, he's panicking. He's like, oh, I, I'd want to undo this. Uh, a really interesting, I guess, portrayal of it. Um so what happens to him, right? We know Peter repents, right? He repents and he's accepted back. He becomes the first pope. Judas never repents. Well, what happened to him? You know, the scriptures tells us he commits suicide. You know, he, he hangs himself. And then it says he burst open and the birds of the field ate his innards. Mm. Yeah, you know, the, this in the betrayal... I'm remembering because you brought up the passion of the Christ and, you know, when that exchange took place and, and the coins are being thrown back at Judas and, you know, the sound of those coins hitting the floor for me in memory, because mm-hmm. I, I haven't watched it for a, a year or two now. Um, but that sound in this kind of silent moment of, you know, I, all of the words of Jesus floods his mind. I betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss and over these over these little worldly tokens that are kind of falling to the ground and making this this noise. It kind of draws him in. And what the what the Passion of the Christ did effectively was to show the torment of the mm-hmm. demonic influences that surround Judas after this point oh. where he's just driven out to this place of being completely, uh, the, you know, the, the food of, of, you know, birds. the birds of the air. Like, yeah, now, it's interesting. He's brought up birds because there's this really interesting apocryphal um, writing. It's com- it comes from the apocryphal gospel of Nicodemus. Okay. Which was a, you know, it's apocryphal, but it's an interesting thing. And it says that Judas was married and that Judas was panicking and he has remorse for what he's done, but not contrition. So he goes back to his house to get some rope to hang himself with. But when he comes in the kitchen, he finds his wife roasting a chicken, right? And he tells her, I'm going to commit suicide for what I've done. And she said, well, why would you commit suicide? Because, you know, you betrayed the Lord to the death. But what does that matter? Because he's going to come back from the dead just as much as this chicken I'm cooking is. And just then this roasted chicken comes up and starts cawing, starts, <laughs> you know, making rooster noises. <laughs> and now it's a parallel to Peter hearing the rooster crow three times. But this bird that's obviously dead, well, he's not coming back to punish you any more than this chicken that I'm cooking is. And it comes back 
and starts crowing. So now his fear is shot up to a whole nother level. Well, if yeah, something like that, that happens. But, but I think that could really, I mean, I could see that. Like even in The Passion of the Christ, how he's getting followed by these demons. Oh, and it's yeah. just his skin. Like, so yeah. you see this. I mean, you're being driven into demonic madness yes. from the remorse at that point. Mm-hmm. Has to be that. Yeah. So that, that's always, I thought, was a really interesting little side comment on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very dark. Very dark. And the depths of, of this immersive darkness that, that we see along the progression that we've kind of walked through the scriptural accounts of Judas, we've lo- walked through this kind of apocryphal take uh, up until the point where, you know, in this, uh, you know, Akeldama, this, uh, this field of blood, you know, um, that's associated with Judas Iscariot, you know, th- that's, that's the ultimate destruction. Yeah. And, th- and that's ultimately what the devil is looking at. The devil ultimately fails, obviously, in relationship to Jesus, but the devil wins mm-hmm. with Judas. You know, and here's the thing is that, like, I think it's interesting that 30 coins was the prescripted price to bury a foreigner in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? That's what it cost to buy a potter's field, to bury somebody who is foreign of nature, whether it's a, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, some Gentile. Gentile or whether it was a Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And there's been some kind of theological thought that the 30 coins was that, you know, it shows that Jesus's price for his death was so that the, you know, that he could also convert the Gentiles. But then also the, the high, the, the, Jew, the priests and the scribes, they go out and buy a potter's field a field for a foreigner. And that's where, with that money, that's where Judas was hung. He hung himself and burst open so the birds of the field would eat his innards. Mm. What an ignominious end to one of the apostles. What a, the, the spiraling nature. This is over the, like, the course of two weeks, right? If it was a week before Passover, then a week after. It's like two weeks. Can you just imagine the darkness, the spiral of of a life completely going out of control, being tormented by demons. And it's, it's a dark place. And mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with Jesus. It would have been better for him to have not been born. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and I think that's, that's a, a perfect way to really kind of bring a, a conclusion to mm-hmm. the person of Judas. And it's, it's where we began, you know, he, you know, this is, it would be better as if this, this person was never born. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the subjection and the willfulness behind this betrayal, you know, we all have we all have our own betrayals, but the most important thing is to develop that sense of remorse and sense of contrition and turning to Jesus, which is clearly what our first shepherd did. You know, when we when we look at the Prince of the Apostles and we look at the Pontiff, the the Holy Father, you know, Peter shows us that pattern of ever turning to Jesus for his mercy. Mm-hmm. It's what Pope Francis expressed in his own Jorge Bergoglio is a sinner. It's it's him showing the importance of the sacrament of reconciliation, instituting the missionaries of mercy and and, and then extending that to the world. It's John Paul II and Mother Teresa going mm-hmm. to confession weekly. It's Matthias. It's it's Matthias. I don't think you can uh, you have an episode on Judas without talking about Matthias. Matthias was the one chosen to replace Judas in the 12 apostles. And that just shows you that Peter repented, became the prince of the apostles and the pope. Uh, Judas did not repent, and he burst open in a potter's field in a field of blood. 
But then the church survived and replaced with one who went on to become a martyr, who didn't reject Jesus when given the chance, Mm -hmm. who died a martyrdom. And that's a story of renewal in the church that even when there is bad people and there's been bad people and there's going to be bad people, but they're going to be replaced and the Holy Spirit will continue to guide the church. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've heard it said that people who create scandal poison others, people who are scandalized willingly drink the poison willingly. Mm. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. You know, and this is all in the context of, of a sense of what Lent is. Mm-hmm. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know, that, that constancy of repentance, the constancy of a daily conversion, turning to the Lord, it's, it's an ever gaze on Jesus who extends his mercy to the point of establishing friendship with us, and he continues to save us from these powers that are very much present in the world. And being guided from pride to humility, I think Matthias is a great redeeming moment to this because in the greatest, utmost humility, Matthias assumes the role of one of the 12. And then that 12, those, that college of 12 went out to every nation to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and to teach all that Jesus had commanded them. And behold, Jesus is still with us, my brother, brothers and sisters. And if you are still with us and you have yet to hit the subscribe button before we go our separate ways, hit that subscribe button, click that bell, share the good news on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tag us at, at Catholic Talk Show. Big These people shout out. listening and they don't subscribe, they don't subscribe with a kiss. They listen and they give us a kiss with their ears, but they don't subscribe. Go and do what you must, friends. <laughs> So disappointed that they don't subscribe. They're not going to do that. We've got good people out there. Okay. And look, if you want to become a patron, right, that's how we're going to get $450 to build a bet on these two slapping each other. Um, So, yeah, you know, we we can't do the show without our patrons. Big Um, shout out to our patrons. You know, there's a lot of great ways that we're able to interact with our patrons who support our show. We give them, you know, great gear. We give them the opportunity to hang out with us every Wednesday through uh, a virtual uh, hangout. And then we're also going to try to do some in-person hangouts this year, whether it's in Pittsburgh, whether it's in down here in St. Augustine. It's, you know, it's really our kind of core supporters who make this show possible. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank each and every one of you for making your Catholic faith such a priority and spending some time with us each week. It's a joy to be able to provide this service to you. This enriches our journey together, walking with Christ. And through his mercy, my brothers and sisters, we will continue to forge that unity that no amount of evil or demonic influence can divide. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.